All right. So the past few weeks we have been looking at prayer and we've been taking and drawing lessons from the story of Honey, the circle maker. And uh, the, the things that we've covered, and I'll just recap them quickly, is bold prayers, specific in their nature, with a belief that there's no limit to God's power, and a humility that allows prayer to shape us more than we use it to shape our circumstances, which means being willing to pray bold prayers that honor God by their very nature, but willing to be like Jesus and declare the Father's infinite wisdom and sovereignty by praying, your will be done and not mine. And so this week, this is our final lesson on the circle maker, and Honey had a reputation of praying for rain. That means he'd done it before. He'd done it for years. They'd ask him to pray for rain. That's how you get a reputation of being a rainmaker, right? And uh, you may have heard the term prayer warrior before. Anybody ever heard that term before? Prayer warrior? Prayer warrior. You don't get that, that terminology or that, that, uh, that title uh, because you've prayed once. Just like a warrior doesn't get that title because they won one battle. A warrior is somebody who has won and continues to fight and continues to win in battle, right? And so a prayer warrior is someone who does the same. They pray and they continue to pray. And uh, somebody who gets or establishes a reputation of being a person of prayer who prays like the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And uh, so this week, where we're going to land is something called Praying Hard or Pray Hard. This is not only a clever t-shirt campaign from the 1990s. I don't know if any of you remember those. There was a Pray Hard t-shirt. It had an image of a set of jeans from like here down and the knees were worn out. No, this is not cool for anybody? Okay, cool. Nobody knows that. That's all right. That's what happens. I got got one person over here. Praise the Lord. All right. But it's also where we're going to land today and my hope is to cover what all that means. So uh, there's studies that have been done. Uh, when you think about, th- this is like a stereotype, and I'm going to expose it for just a second. A stereotype, you go, they're, they're, Japanese children have a tendency to do better at math than American kids. And there's a stereotype about that. There's all kinds of jokes and internet memes about that, and, and I don't want to explore what those are necessarily because stereotypes are stereotypes. They're, you know, it, it, but the reason is not because Japanese have a propensity or they're, they're better inclined at math. Studies have been done that show it has more to do with effort than it does their inclination. I'm going to read this study to you. It says, in one study involving first graders, students were given a difficult puzzle to solve. And the researchers weren't interested in whether or not the children could solve the puzzle. They simply wanted to see how long they would try before giving up. The American children lasted, on average, 9.47 minutes, and the Japanese children lasted 13.93 minutes. In other words, the Japanese children tried 40% longer than the American kids. And is it any wonder that they score higher on math exams? It actually has more to do with their, uh, less to do with the intelligent quotient and more to do with their persistence, right? And, uh, and so they, they just simply tried harder. Uh, and that study not only explains the difference in standardized math scores, it's also why they're better at music than us. It's why they're better in their work. They're more dedicated workers. That's why they're beating us is because they learn to continually try. It's their effort, right? And so we find that success is a direct result of persistence. Another study more than a decade ago by Anders Ericsson and his colleagues at Berlin, Berlin's Elite Academy of Music did a study with musicians. And uh, all of them, they, they, they studied three groups of musicians. One were elite, one were professional players, and then there was uh, the, uh, 
the average the average player, right? And they started. They followed them from a child uh, from child age and watched how much they practiced. And it was about up until the age of eight that everybody practiced about the same. And at age of eight, every group started diverting. The professional ones played more than the the uh, than the or the elite played more than the professional. The professional played more than the just the good violinist. And so the, the average players logged about 4,000 hours of practice time. The good violinist totaled about 8,000 hours, and the elite set the standard with 10,000 hours. And while there's no denying that innate ability that sometimes dictates you know, which instrument you pick up and your, 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 um, your drive towards a specific instrument, of course you're interested, but what really surpassed everything here was their ability to persist in that thing. And so 10,000 hours becomes the gold standard of, uh, of, of everything. And you look straight across the board. Michael Jordan, 10,000 hours shooting basketball hoops all by himself. You look at any, any sport, you look at any kind of job, you look at anybody who is elite is like at the top of their game. And you can guarantee that they have logged about 10,000 hours doing that. So let me ask you a question. Is prayer any different? Should we look at prayer as something any different than that? Shouldn't we be trying to master prayer? Now, before you look at this and think that this is like, you know, an episode on Harry Potter and, you know, that, that this is like, you know, how you wave your wand, it's not like that. I don't mean like that. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll dive into exactly what that means. It says, this I know for sure. The bigger the dream, the harder you will have to pray. And what does it mean to pray hard? Well, let's look at what Jesus said about that. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have Bibles that we'd like to give out to you today. And uh, you can take that home. It is a gift for you. But we will be in Luke 18. And uh, one of my ushers will get you a Bible if you need one. But it says, uh, it'll also be up on the screen. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a certain a judge in a certain city, and he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets, gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. So let me just unpack that for just a second. Jesus describes a judge, and I want you to look at how he describes him, okay? As a man who neither feared God, oh, it's not up there. Man who neither feared God nor cared about people. In the Jewish day, in their time, when Jesus said that, everybody who was listening to him knew when they said a man who did not fear God, this is not a guy who honored the laws of the land. This is not a guy who respected any of the laws through Moses, the Ten Commandments, none of them. They knew this dude was not a guy who was going to play by our rules. Okay, Nor did he care about people. This is somebody who ascended through the ranks, maybe was even given the job because he bought, bought it or his family gave it to him. Somehow he got into a position of being a judge of the territory and he neither fears God nor does he care about people. It's a great kind of guy, you know, to be in, be in position. And a judge was somebody who would settle the disputes of the people. If there was a fight between two people and they couldn't resolve it themselves, they went before a judge. And so much like we have today, this is their court system, Okay. And so you file a complaint, the judge hears it, but in this case, the judge ignored her for a while. And finally, he said to himself, and why did he ignore her? Well, what do we know about that time period? We know that women did not or were not valued. They were more of a commodity than a person. But Jesus' work 
And, and we see all through the New Testament uh, that work is, was to change that. But at this time, the culture still looked as wi- at women as unimportant. And so this is a widow woman fighting for justice. And so he's completely ignoring her. And he says, I don't fear God or care about the people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. This parable is one of the clearest pictures of prayer that Jesus gives us in all of Scripture. It shows us what praying hard looks like, right? It's knocking until your knuckles are bleeding. It's crying until your voice, voice is lost. Or it's pleading until your tears run dry. Praying hard is praying through. And if you pray through, God will come through. I'll say it again. Praying hard is praying through. And if you pray through... God will come through for you. It may not be in the way we expect him to. God's not a vending machine. He's not going to do everything that we ask him to do. But when you are expecting and submitting to God's will, when he answers, there's a confidence that comes from that answer that allows you to move forward in prayer. Back to the widow, that phrase used to describe the widow's persistence, it says she is wearing me out, is more like a boxing term, right? Prayer can be grueling. It's like going 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. Anybody want to do that? No way. I don't want to get, go one round with that guy. There are times you don't have it in you to pray again. There are times you don't want to pray again. There are times you know you should be praying and you're like, I just can't. I got nothing else. I've got nothing left to give. But praying hard is also two-dimensional, right? It is uh, praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on you. What does that mean? Let me break it down for you in this clearest, simplest way that I love to do, and I'm going to tell a joke. (laughs) There's this girl who prays for years and years to win the lottery. It's her prayer every day. She says, God, i got to win the lottery. Help me win the lottery. Lord, help me win the lottery. Please. She's praying like it depends on God. And finally, after many years of praying to win the lottery, God speaks back to her and says, meet me halfway. Buy a ticket. So, so praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on us is very clear in this, in this little microcosm of a joke, right? You've got to work like it depends. You've got to do your part so that God can do his. It's praying until God answers, no matter how he answers and no matter how long it takes. It's doing whatever it takes to show God you're serious. You know, my kids ask for a lot of things, right? Anybody, any parents out there have kids? If you're parents, you have kids, right? So I guess that was kind of, joke's on you, you answered it. Thank you for doing that. Um, So if you're a parent and you have kids that are old enough to ask for things, I guess maybe is the better question. The kids will ask for things all the time, right? And do you give them everything that they ask for? Popular parenting would tell you that if your kid comes to you and says, Daddy, I want a pony. You don't give them a pony on the first request, right? You don't do it. If they continually ask about a pony, well, then maybe there's a genuine interest there, right? If they persist in asking about the pony. You're laughing over there. You've got one that keeps asking for a pony. But if we give them everything they want every time they ask, we may wind up giving them a bunch of things that they're never going to use, right? They're they're just going to have it. We make a lot of little Veruca salts out there. Daddy, I want a boat, He goes, you've already got a boat. She goes, no, not like that one. I want that boat, right? Kids that are like that, they're just gathering and collecting things, nothing that they're going to use. And sometimes I feel like God's the same way. Are we willing to be persistent about the things that we actually want? Are we willing to ask again? 
Are we willing to show God that these are the things we're serious about, right? And so back to the widow. While we don't know what injustice took place, we don't do know that the persistent widow wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, maybe her son was falsely imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. Maybe the guy who molested her daughter was out on the streets. We really don't know what that was. Whatever it was, the judge knew that she was never, ever going to give up. So here's my question to you. Does the judge in your scenario know who you are? Judge being God, does he know who you are? Are you being persistent with your requests? Or have you let that kind of die out, that passion, that thing you once wanted? Have you let it die out? How desperate are you for the miracle? Desperate enough to pray through the night? Anybody ever done that before? Got up and just pray through the night and you just pace. You fast, you pray, and you let God know you're serious. You're banging on the doors of heaven. Anybody ever done that before? That's a serious prayer. And you knock until you knock the door down. For me, a, a personal example of this in my life, everybody remember when the, uh, the housing market or the real estate market like just tanked? And everybody's houses, everything your house was worth, like, you know, a ridiculous amount of money, especially in, in my neighborhood. I know the bank was trying to give me way more money than I paid for it uh, on a home equity loan. And then the, the, the economy just, <clears throat> everything went down. And the real estate market dipped so bad that my house was now, via the market, worth, worth way less than my current value. And of course, all the interest rates are dropping. And it's the perfect time to refinance. But it's not an opportunity for me to refinance. So I start praying about it. But I start working like it depends on me. And I start calling around and I start applying. Denied. I pray about it some more. I start researching and I find out there are other programs that are available. Even my lender was one of the ones that, that the president gave money to. So they should be able to refinance even though I'm technically upside down. Denied. And I continued to pray that. And there was just this one day that I was praying that prayer. And I went back to it and I said, Lord, I've got to do something. The rates are great. You've got to help me out here. I'm actually in need of a lower monthly payment. This is after I left my job and was on this path to open and simple church. And I felt... Like I needed to check again. So I started working like it depended on me, praying like it depended on God. And I called this company and they said, oh, Mr. DeLong. I said, they said, did you get our package, our information package? And I said, no, what information package is that? They said, we sent it out last week. You should have got it. In truth, that information package about finally the programs were available to refinance my house didn't arrive at my house until six weeks later, folks. Let me just tell you. So during prayer that morning, I just felt like this connection. So I called and we got our house refinanced. We saved like over $300 a month. But my point is persistence in prayer. Coming back to God over and over. Refinancing is a great thing. Saving money is a great thing. But are you, do you want it bad enough that you continue to pray about it? That you continue to ask God? That you continue to seek? So in my life, that's what happened. And like Honey, the circle maker, the persistent widow's methodology may have been a little unorthodox. She could have and technically should have waited for her court date and uh, going to the personal residence of the judge probably crossed a few boundaries, personal boundaries. And I'm actually surprised that he didn't like, you know, issue a, uh, what is the, uh, a restraining order against her because she was bugging him so much, right? But I want to tell you this, and this I know through all the scriptures that God doesn't care about protocol. 
He doesn't. He's not interested in it, right? If Jesus cared about protocol, when he showed up, he would have addressed the Pharisees and invited them to come be his disciples, right? Because they were the ones that technically should have been with him. Instead, he honored the disciples. If Jesus cared about protocol, the prostitute who crashed the Pharisees' party to anoint his feet with oil wouldn't have been the one he honored, but that's the one he honored. Jesus honored a tax collector who climbed a tree in a three-piece suit just to take a look at him. He defied protocol. Jesus honored guys who cut off the roof of a house and lowered their friend down because nobody could get to Jesus because the crowd was pressing in on him so hard. And the friends had a sick friend and they cut open the roof and lowered him down, lowered his bed down in front of Jesus. And Jesus honored them. They didn't follow protocol. They were persistent. They said, we are going to get to Jesus. And they did. And Jesus honored them. And in the same way, Jesus is telling this story about this widow and honoring her refusal to follow protocol. The persistent widow is selected as the gold standard when it comes to praying hard. This is the story, the, the, the pinnacle that Jesus uses and says, this is how you ought to pray and not stop. Her unrelenting persistence was the only difference between justice and injustice. It isn't about praying the right prayer or saying the right words. This is not a magic spell. This is not Harry Potter. There's no Voldem, well, he who shall not be named. There's none of those guys. <laughs> yeah, I did. You're welcome. Muggles unite. <laughs> but prayer has more to do with the intensity of our prayer and not necessarily with the vocabulary of our prayer, right? And this is modeled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you look in the scriptures, you see that the Holy Spirit has been praying for you and interceding for you since day one. He is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. He intercedes for you. It's in the Bible. It's there. It tells us. He's praying for us. And he continues to pray for us. And will always continue to pray for us. And that kind of prayer is modeled by those two. And and I can't think of a better example for us. But God isn't just for us in some passive sense. God is for us in the most active sense, right? There's a story in the Old Testament about Elijah. Years and years and years before Honey prayed for rain, there is Elijah. And there had been no rain in the country for three years. And God told Elijah, he said, I'm going to make it rain. But Elijah knew that he needed to take that word and he knew he needed to go pray over it. So Elijah does. And he goes and he prays and he prays six times. And each time he prays, he prays once, Father, send rain. Sends out his servant to go look at the horizon over the sea and says, do you see anything? And his servant comes back and says, nope, it's not there. Six times he prays. Now, I have a feeling that most of us at the sixth time praying for something, we would probably just give up, right? Too often we stop just before what God promised for our lives is delivered. But Elijah, knowing better, prayed again. He prayed the seventh time. And when he prayed this time, he sent his servant out, and his servant came back and said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. And Elijah decided, I will not move from here. Kind of like the story of the circle maker, where he drew a circle and said, I'm not moving until you send rain. Elijah didn't move from that spot until he knew that God answered. And what happened? It rained. It rained, and the drought was over, and God blessed the people that day. 
But what if Elijah had quit praying after the sixth time, right? The obvious answer is that a whole generation would have continued to suffer. An entire city, nation, would have continued to suffer. But think about it further than that. See, if Elijah was the original rainmaker, is it possible that Honey, who came after him many years later, looked back at Elijah and said, well, God did it for Elijah. Maybe he'll do it for me. And that Honey looked at him and said, that was my inspiration. If God did it there, he can do it again. Right? Well, what about Elijah? Maybe Elijah was inspired by something that happened even further. And we talked about this, where God made it rain quails. Right? The quail storm. Quailmageddon, I think we called it. What if, what if Moses had never done what he did? Then Elijah may have, and we don't know this for a fact, but we know that they would have known that that happened. What if that had never happened with Moses? Would Elijah have had doubt in his heart? What if it had never happened with Elijah? Would Honey have had doubt in his heart? But instead, they grabbed onto the promise of God and said, God can do this. Let me tell you something. The, the reason many of us give up too soon is because we feel like we've failed if God doesn't answer our prayers. Amen? The only way you can fail, though, is if you stop praying. I want to tell you that in my, in my life, I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother, and I love them dearly. And for many, many, many years, I've prayed for them on a regular basis. But I'm going to be honest with you, and I'll confess my sin to you. I stopped. I stopped praying. God wasn't answering when I wanted. God wasn't answering how I wanted. In fact, to me, it seemed like my brothers were moving further and further from God. And then, over the course of this study, this was last year at the beginning of last year, I started reading this, the Circle Maker story. And I found inspiration to pray again for my brothers. And I started I drew a circle on the ground and I said, and I didn't literally do it, but I figuratively drew a circle and said, God, I'm not moving from this spot. I'm going to continue to pray for my brothers because I desperately want them to fall in love with Jesus, just like I want that for every person in this room and every person in this city, in this state, in the world, just like God wants. I desperately want my brothers to know Jesus. And so I started praying for them again. And let me tell you what excites me. Is days that I'll text them and I say, hey, can I pray for you? And they're like, yes, please pray for me. There are days that it comes unsolicited that they call me and say, you know, you're the only pastor I have. Will you pray for me? That just touches my heart. You know, whether they're completely sold out to Jesus yet or not, they are giving him a chance. They are putting faith in God. And great conversations have started because God is faithful to his word. For Elijah, even after three years of drought and about with depression, he believed that God could send rain because he was grabbing on to a promise. One thing is certain is that our most powerful prayers are always linked to God's promises. How do I know that? Well, our most confident prayers are when we're praying for things we know we can have. My kids have asked me regularly, Dad, can I go ride my bike? Yes. To, to, to where we got to a point where I said, listen, you don't have to ask me if you can ride your bike. All you need to do is come and tell me where you're going and when you'll be home. They don't have to ask anymore. And so my, my, my children come to me and say, Dad, we're going to ride our bike. We'll be home in a half an hour. We're going to go down here around Tim's house, wherever it is. I'm like, great, I'll see you soon. They come to me with confidence, knowing that they can 
ask. They're more telling me anymore. But I may say no when they tell me that that's what they're going to do. I may say, eh, we're getting ready to leave or dinner's getting ready to come on or can you go after your homework's done? But they come to me confidently because they know that the answer is yes. But when we're dealing with God, how do we know that the answer is yes? I'm so glad you asked. So glad you asked. In 1 John 5, 14 through 15, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I love the next part. Are you ready for the next part? And it says, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? To know that if we ask anything according to his will, well, how do we know his will? We've got to read the word. I'm going to wrap up the rest of my notes with something really simple. Something I learned to do. The Bible is a book that is to be read, but it's also a book to be prayed through. The promises of God are written there, and we have to pray them. We have to use them. See, it's one thing. You get the Bible. There's a great quote here. I want to read it to you. It says, let me get it. Reading is, pr- is reactive and prayer is proactive. Reading is the way to get through the Bible, but praying the Bible is a way to get the Bible through you. Do I need to say it again? You got it? Reading is the way to get through the Bible. Prayer is the way to get the Bible through you. As you pray, the Holy Spirit will quicken your spirit and sometimes He just does something different when you're praying His Word. There are multiple scriptures that support praying God's word back to him. How God will not allow his word to return to him void. But we've got to know what the will of God is. And if you don't know what the will of God is, you've got to get into his word. And when you start praying that, God answers. God answers in big ways. For me, my brothers, you may ask me, what was your motivation to start praying for your brothers? I'm glad you asked. This is where I'm going to, I'm going to land I'm going to close. It was 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. It said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live in peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is my favorite part. This is how you know you're praying God's will. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. When I pray for my brothers, I pray this. I read this verse and I say, God, I'm praying for them because I know you want them to know you. And I understand that they have a will and a desire and that that I'm not going to manipulate them and control them, but Lord, I'm praying because I know this pleases you. We have to find God's will and we have to pray. As we wrap up this series, I want to give you a point. Be constant in prayer. Never give up. Pray the word, which means you have to read the word. They go hand in hand. Aligning your prayers with God's will and his promises. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for this study on prayer. And I I pray, Lord, that it has challenged our hearts. I pray that it has challenged our walk with Jesus. Lord, I pray that we become a people of prayer that are known that have a reputation of praying and of being constant in prayer, of praying without ceasing. Lord, of praying your word and seeking your will, seeking your face. 
Father, challenge us as we go forward, as we practice our prayer, Lord. Expand our hearts. Expand our understanding. Show us in your word your promises. Show us so that we can circle them. We can underline them. We can share them and pray them. And go with us this week, God. Bless all those that have come today. God, if there are sick in this house, heal them. If there are broken in this house, God, heal them. If there are people with addictions, Lord, break them. We ask these things in Jesus' name, God. Knowing that your heart is close to the broken, to the lost, to the sick. Amen. Well, I'm going to close today's service. We usually uh, have Rocco come up. But I'm going to close today. So at this time, it's our opportunity to give our, our tithes and our offering. So we'll pass the buckets. And as we pass the buckets today, drop in your connection cards, your completed connection cards. If you've got one of those with any prayer requests, please, please, please put them in there. We pray over them every week. And we are thankful for the opportunity to partner with you and pray for your needs. We love you. We thank you for coming. We thank you for giving because it's gifts, financial gifts, that help us do what we do here at Simple Church.